Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Morning, Marjorie. Hey, Claire. How are you today? Good. Yeah, I'm happy we're in June, my favourite month of the year. I just love that feeling of exams being over and summer about to start, things finishing up for the kids. The pace of life just slows down a little bit, not constantly rushing from one hockey pitch to a tennis court to pick somebody up and drop somebody off it just everything just seems to ease up and the homework gets less and it just feels like a freedom month to me yeah whereas cut check back with us at the end of august and we'll be like please can we go back to school so we get a bit of quiet in the middle of the day but you're right everything kind of goes into overdrive this month doesn't it it's like between all the i don't know whether people get into summer mode before all the other stuff is finished so i feel like there's loads and loads of fun things to do the weather's good everyone wants to be outside and yet uh, in my house the activity levels just ramp up all that end of year school stuff as you say exams sports days prize givings all those sorts of things just feels like you kind of ram them into one month and you get to the end of june and think we've made it so check with us in june but by july we're like okay it's time and you've got family birthdays as well in june so lots of cake making in your house Yeah, and two within three days, which is always a challenge because, you know, first one chooses the first cake. I have always made their birthday cakes. But the problem is eldest chooses first because he's three days before number three. And then number three always gets stuck with a flavor that she's not exactly excited about. So I think that we've hit a bit of a tipping point now because the oldest has now said, why doesn't she choose first? Which I think means he's an adult. He's about to leave his teens and become an adult. And I think he's finally realized he's had the chocolate cake first for too many years. Yeah, so we've got a great story this month. Carrying on with the the food theme and a lovely story from Claire O'Connor. Claire is based in the Falklands. Yeah, and then we've got a poem by Alicia Per Mohammed, a poem called Elsewhere. And this one's from her new book, is that right, Marjorie? Yeah, so she's got a new collection coming out with Polygon called Another Way to Split Water. I'm pretty sure it'll be out for festival time, but um, I know that it's coming because she's been posting on social media about the cover, which is a beautiful thing. And I'm looking forward to getting my hands on her collection when it's out. Highly anticipated first collection. Words we love to hear. Okay, well, I get us started on the story, though, first, which is called How to Have the Perfect Picnic. Invite all your friends, or invite no one at all. Bring your dog, or your lover, or your children, or a swarm of hungry ladybirds. Choose your setting carefully, somewhere secluded enough to be an escape, but not so far away that you lose yourself forever. Preferably a place that offers both sun and shade to accommodate shifting moods. Choose wisely, or just get in your car, or hop on a bus, or drag that rusty bicycle out of the shed and feel the slow, inexorable rotation of the earth beneath you, and hear the distant hum of the universe expanding, and see where you land. Splurge on a posh picnic blanket, something checkered or woven from the hair of an animal you've never heard of. Spend hours researching this strange creature online until you know their delicate sensibilities and robust mating habits by heart. Or forget the blanket, forget the cutlery, drink wine from the bottle and eat fistfuls of potato salad. If you find yourself in a bog, eat standing up 
If you find yourself in a tree, pretend you're a crow and eat the shiniest foods first. If you find yourself in uncharted territory, congratulations. Bring along a musical instrument or blow into a piece of grass or beat your body like a drum. Or don't generate sound, but rather absorb it. The wind in the trees, the shush of a stream, the trickle of blood and nectar that keep us all going, the inevitable dissolution of rock to dust, the rumblings of magma, the promise of eruptions. There is no perfect picnic. There are infinite perfect picnics. When you arrive, be prepared to count how many times a ladybird beats its wings in a second. You will feel something twitching under your shoulder blades, a vestige of wings you should have had. Take several deep breaths. Unfurl like a fern. Bloom like a foxglove, like forsythia, like a forget-me-not. You can bring sandwiches or samosas or spring rolls. You can have all the crisps your heart desires. Salt and vinegar, cheese and onion, pickled onion, prawn cocktail, haggis, sweet chili, beetroot, prosecco, and pink peppercorn. Fruit, if you must. Wild berries are best for staining your lips. Forage for mushrooms and wild garlic. Seaweed is a superfood. It is not a picnic if you do not eat. It could be a ramble or a retreat, but a picnic involves the licking of lips, masticating, digestion. A picnic requires hunger as well as satiation. Will we stop there? Yeah, that's really put me in the mood to go for a picnic. <laughs> I know. Let's think about picnics that we could have. Well, I always wanted, I don't know if you've ever seen that sort of picnic sandwich and I've never made it, but I've always thought oh, that'd be such fun to do. And you get one of those loaves of bread that is almost like a bull, like, you know, a ball shaped one and you cut off the top, sort of scoop out most of the breadiness from inside. And then you just layer loads and loads of things in it. So, you know, spinach and boiled eggs and cheese and ham and whatever you want until you filled up the whole loaf and then you put the lid back on um, and then you cut it into wedges. Oh, and I've, ne- I've seen it, but I've never made it. But I always think it just looks so good. That sounds like such fun because it reminds me of the kind of Italian layered pasta dishes, you know, like the kind of bowl that you get where you get different things in it as well. And I think there's something about the communality of a picnic. And I always love if you're you're organizing a picnic or everybody brings something to share. I'm always intrigued by what different people bring. Or what people think of as picnic food. It's funny because it's definitely a kind of not just a cultural thing, but like a household thing, right? Yeah. And in our house, it was always something that you could eat with your hands. Like, so you wouldn't necessarily need a plate and a fork. So we wouldn't really bring a couscous salad or a coleslaw, but those are quite common picnic foods. It was always something you could pick up and walk around with or stand with your feet in the sea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the States, you get, I mean, I guess maybe there are more barbecues, but you get, you know, it's just inconceivable that you would have a picnic without potato salad, possibly potato salad and macaroni salad and coleslaw. When we were kids, it was mostly barbecues and it was mostly heading up into the glens. You know, Glen Isla and Glen Prose and Glen Clover were all really near where I grew up. And my dad would pack the car up 
and we would head off, sometimes with another family. Um, my favourite family to go with were the ones who had a kayak and they would strap it to the roof of the car and we would go up and find a spot on, on one of the rivers and set up the barbecue. The kids would dip and swim and go up and down on the kayak on the permitted stretch of river. And it, um, was it um, a disposable barbecue? No, no, it was the proper full-on metal barbecue that sat in the back of the car and we'd be there all day so the first job would be to get the barbecue going. Now that you say that I had a significant birthday at the very end of last year and my best one of my best presents was a kayak but it was a special kind of kayak which is inflatable and it sounds crazy but actually you can pack it down to the size of a suitcase so it goes back in the back of your car including the little pump that goes with it which means you can drive it up to places like that and then someone on their own my size could put it up but it did make me think it's big enough for two or three certainly certainly three but it's also certainly big enough to pack a huge picnic a tent sleeping bags whatever you want in the middle of it so claire watch out now that you've said you have experience of kayaking with picnic <laughs> we can put it in the back of my car and take off i mean forget the kids being home in the summer they'll wonder where we went yeah no that i would definitely be up for that and, and for some reason food always tastes better outside you know, if you had a bit of a like a leftover pie or something at home, you'd be like, hmm, I should probably eat that because I don't want it to get a waste. Take it outside, take it on a picnic. Best bit of pie ever. I think there's something about sharing food. I sometimes see on Twitter when one of our um, lead readers posts that they've had a lovely session or whatever, there's often a cake involved that one of our participants has baked and brought along to the session. And there's something about, I guess, that idea of breaking bread together that just automatically puts me in a good mood. Okay, we could talk about this all day, but let's we see what could. she... Shall what, we read um, on? We've had a really rich seam here with the two of us, but yeah, let's see where she takes it. There is another kind of hunger, though. A meadow ringed with hills, a beach lashed by the sea, birdsong, belonging. It's been a long year. Eat the hills dizzy with snow, drink the sea giddy with foam. Rest a while on your blanket or a patch of grass, or a bed of sand. Stroke the soft moss, or feel the rough lichen. Did you know lichen isn't a single organism, but a relationship? Fungi and algae, two life forms living as one. The fungus forms a protective shell for the algae, which drinks up the sun and makes food for them both. Look at the lichen, marvel at their intimacy. Look at your loved ones, they have crumbs on their faces, dirt on their knees. Your dog chases the wind, your lover looks at you. Who is the fungus and who is the algae? Perhaps the lines have already disappeared. Come here, you say, but they don't listen. They are following a butterfly. They are taking off their shoes to wade across the burn. You follow, leaving your shoes on the shore. You've never felt such cold nor such pleasure when you emerge and your feet are reborn. Now don't go too far or go all the way. The lines on a map are only a suggestion. The lines on your palm do not tell a single story. When it's time to go, leave no trace. Fold up your blanket neatly or wear it like a veil, one that implies a meeting of two worlds. The other world beckons. Work or warmth, that thing we call home. It is not a picnic if it lasts forever. Take all your rubbish, cover any hot coals. 
Fold yourself up and squeeze back into that shell of a body. Preserve the memory of the picnic in your breath, in your bones, as you glide or rattle or pedal away. As the city or suburbs or country lane swallows you, anticipate the next time. Where will you go? What will you eat? Who will you become? I love that idea of escape picnic allowing you to escape from your body or from the confines of your life and float away and do something different for a while. It's a beautiful metaphor for kind of like, yeah, the way that we become bigger than ourselves and also simultaneously smaller than ourselves when we enter the natural world. That idea of belonging into the natural order of things in a way that it's quite easy to forget. Um, and it reminds me a bit of, um, you've talked about this on our podcast before, about during lockdown, how important it became for us to get out for our swims. And part of that was looking out to the horizon and seeing beyond where we were at that minute and knowing, having that sense of things happening beyond where we were because it felt so compressed and enclosed during that time. And I really get that sense of openness and expansion and looking beyond where you are. Yeah, that idea of birdsong. I love the, the quote about belonging, especially for many of us who, even if you've just moved across Scotland or across like kitty cats in the room, across Scotland or across the world, the natural world is the natural world, you know, and of course it changes shape, but the truth is we're still part of it, you know, and for me, there is a real sense of being home in the hills, much stronger than I have in, in other places. And every time I'm out there, I think, yeah, that's why I come out here because there's something about it that just sort of resets the balance in some way. And I know not everybody's an outdoorsy person. And to be fair, I wasn't for many years, but actually it's an incredible comfort somehow to go out again, even in bad weather, because it just, maybe it's the idea that you're much smaller than you think you are, you know, and your own worries or your own sort of life is just one small part of a much bigger thing. It's a good reminder that way. I think there's something about the horizon that you mentioned. That's part of it. It's just endless. And actually, we're just a dot on the sand somewhere. Uh, yeah. And I think in terms of getting perspective on your own life, you know, things that can seem really overwhelming in the confines of a room or when you're trying to juggle all the things that you need to juggle in your life, when you get outside and as you say, get that sense of being part of something much bigger. It just really helps. And I mean, I'm a sea person. You love the hills. I love the waves. Being out on the beach on a windy day, I almost feel like I sort of suck in the energy of the wind and it gives me energy. You know, windy and wavy is my favourite. I really recognise that line in the story, such pleasure when you emerge and your feet are reborn. Mm, yeah. Um, and that made me think of the winter swims in particular. I love the description of the fungi and algae as well. The sort of symbiotic, one needs the other. Yeah, exactly. And also not knowing which one you are. I think I think she does an incredible just a way of writing herself into that landscape. Because the first part is all about the things we bring to it. But in the second part, it feels like it falls away and it's about being about how we are already part of it. it feels like I, and we keep saying this in these podcasts but so often the kind of real moments in these stories are almost like a moment of mindfulness where you drop away and you recognize what's around you rather than all the things you carry into this picnic you know somehow drop off the other line from that section um that really stood out for me is the lines on a map are only a suggestion I think that's a lovely idea, that power that you were talking about and control of being able to plot your own course. Yeah, exactly. And that, that that we always think there is one linear way, but in fact, 
It isn't. And even the idea that the lines on your palms don't tell a single story, you know, that we are not one story. And it's, you know, it's something we hear about more broadly, I think, a lot in open book about, you know, people being labeled as one story over and over again. And actually, how do you shift out of that, you know? Earlier in the spring, I, we were working with the Scottish Book Trust was open book, doing kind of residencies in different communities. And what you know, I've taken from that is quite often people are landed with a story. You know, if they have a really difficult upbringing or have been in and out of care or you know for whatever reason, people end up being a story. Which is, I've got lots of stories along this very linear line, which is you know, drug abuse or time in prison or, you know, or, or caring for an elderly person or, or a partner or, or whatever. But actually, how do I break out of that? How do I, you know, tell and become the other stories? Um, and I'm not sure I have the answer for that, but I love that line. The lines on your palms do not tell a single story because none of us are just one story. And I think Claire captures that idea beautifully in the, in the last paragraph that she writes, you know, as you glide or rattle or pedal away, um, where will you go? What will you eat? Who will you become? Just that sense of it is, to some extent, your choice, the story you tell. Yeah, and all the possibilities are open to you. The idea that you can preserve a a moment of quiet and take it as a kind of a fuel for other, as you say, you know, we're talking about the wind on on the beach. You might take it away as a kind of energy for where where it might push you. And, And I think maybe the times in those quiets will propel you in a direction that you might not have thought you were going on, if that makes sense. I also really love that idea of leaving no trace, you know, packing up and leaving the thing as you found it. There's something connected there with the idea that because you're already part of it, you don't need to put your initials on the tree and, you know, leave a mark. That in fact, you're you're as naturally in that scenario as you are anywhere else or in that sort of scene and therefore pack up and leave it as it was rather than having the kind of I was here, you know, written across the rocks as we might have wanted to do as teenagers. Shall we switch to see what Alicia's poem might add or shift um, to that? Do you want to read this one? Yeah, I will. Elsewhere. She did not know the shape of this country. Wide, dark, jagged, bend in the river, Rock elm withering, everything withering, into unfamiliar dark, needled forest. She was searching for the water, and the water was a heartache tongued by wild deer. In northern Alberta, she was a line of a crow edging into the unknown boreal, a woman caught between fennels of a dream and long mouths of birch. Even the key of her body, jagged long, gentle dark, could not unlock this landscape. Sometimes there is a fog thick enough to hide the trees, and she imagines this country unwithers, becomes a different land where her body is shaped like the river, and the river is shaped like belonging. I love the gentle rhythm of this poem. I love the way it's it's almost sketching out a landscape for us, each section. And if you see, if you um, are subscribers to our newsletter or you want to find the poem on our website, you'll see that it's set out in a very spacious way on the page. There's lots of white and 
it gives you a real sense of um, width and space. Yeah, the words, some of the words are separated and then others are stuck together like dark, jagged and jagged, long and gentle, dark, very similar words stuck together. Yeah, and I think the title starting, let's start with the title for me, the idea elsewhere. I'm not sure if it means that she thinks she's she is elsewhere, meaning she belongs somewhere else, um, or if she's in a setting or in a scene or in the woods and is remembering elsewhere, her hair, her head is elsewhere. But you definitely get this feeling of separation. And elsewhere as well can mean anywhere, but not where you are at the moment. So for me, I wonder as well if there's a sense of separation between the physical and the mental you know her body is one place but her mind is not in the same place somewhere else yeah exactly and and then I think it's that unfamiliarity isn't it that that first line tells us she doesn't know the shape of this country and it feels like she knows where she is in northern Alberta because Alicia's Canadian so I you know it helps that we know that about the poet here I think it echoes back to that idea as well of being better able to find your place when you are out in nature. What worries me about this poem is that there is a feeling that the landscape is one she doesn't recognize. Um, Whereas, you know, in the in the short story, we were talking a lot about that idea of it doesn't matter. You know, you're outside and you you're in a forest or on the sea or wherever, but you recognize your place in it here that it does feel like she doesn't have a sense there is that the landscape is unfamiliar and so it's not a feeling of belonging at all and there's a there is a sense of the language being quite tense you know withering and unfamiliar and needled heartache unknown could not unlock and even the idea of fog appearing there's there's just something slightly sinister yeah, or if, I, I wouldn't say sinister for me. It doesn't feel sinister, but just bewildered. And maybe, you know, it could be um, as simple as a lack of connection with that that landscape. And I, I wonder, you know, it could either be an unfamiliar with being outside or a landscape at all, or I think it could go the opposite, one that's so connected with the landscape that they're from that they really don't recognize the the one they're in. So for me, for example, when I go to California to visit my parents, I never, I lived there for a year when I was young, but, uh, but I grew up on the East Coast. So um, those landscapes are really unfamiliar to me. And when I go up hiking with them or whatever, they really feel strange because I've spent so much of my life in Scotland, you know, up in the hills and around the lochs and on the seashore here, even the sea although it's the sea, feels, you know, because of the way the waves break and the power of the water there feels a little unfamiliar, but certainly up in the hills there feels really different and maybe has this feeling. It's not, it's not dangerous for me or worrying, but it feels really uncomfortably unfamiliar because I have that strange sense of feeling like I should know where I am because I'm back in America, but I don't. So there is that feeling. I recognize that like not being able to unlock a landscape, not being sure what the forest is and feeling like it's a bit dark. And I think she gives that hint at the end of the poem, you know, the idea that she imagines this country that she's in withers and becomes the shape of the place that she knows or the place that she belongs. Yeah, I mean, she uses that word to give us a real sense of sort of unfurling and opening up and changing. 
Yeah. And then I guess for me, you know, when we were talking about with the with the story about the idea that you're you become part of the landscape in a place that you feel comfortable in or generally you know, we hadn't got to the idea that you couldn't be you could be uncomfortable. But um you know, here she's saying her body is shaped like the river. And so I think maybe it is that thing when you're comfortable enough, you become you feel like you're part of it in some way. You know, that you can relax and become part of it. And how do you become that comfortable? That's the interesting question, isn't it? Is it simply from spending time somewhere or do you have to do something more active? It's funny. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not sure I would have said in the past, you know, um, that everyone can get to that state. But then, you know, I have, like we know, many children, And I certainly have one who I think is just much less comfortable outside in the natural world, like, you know, weirdly loves houseplants, but really not interested in going up a hill or or around water or to the seaside ever, you know, and when we go to the seaside, she'll bring a book and, you know, she will on under duress or to be kind to me go, but she will sit, you know, in the car sometimes or on a blanket or on a bench preferably and just read because there's just something missing there. And, you know, I've got over the idea of like the kind of, come on, we'll all go, you know, when they were little, because I just actually think at some point you get, people are themselves, you know, and you're allowed to express it. So I think there must be people, people I'm related to even, who have that feeling. I think it's partly an age thing as well. I mean, when I was younger, um, I could not see the point of going on a walk for the sake of the walk. Like it was fine to go somewhere, to walk somewhere, to do something or to go for a walk with a purpose of visiting the library or, you know, seeing a friend. But to actually go out and walk either in a circle or even worse in one direction and then turn around and walk straight back again. um, I just really took was difficult for me to process and even now although I do love to go for a walk now and just the space and the thinking time it gives me I much prefer walking in a circle than walking out somewhere and retracing my steps and you're so and we're the opposite because I prefer walking out and coming back I certainly prefer running if I'm running to run out and come back and I meet people saying oh no you could make a loop out of that and I think no no no, I know exactly where I am um and maybe it's a kind of deep-seated fear of being lost. I don't think so. I think it's more that I, when I know where I am, then I don't spend any mental energy considering where I am on the route. And so then I can enjoy, you know, actually paying attention to everything else. But I think, yeah, unlike you as a young person, I was really happy to potter and to go out and go out and sit and write poems in a notebook in the middle of a forest on my own. And, you know, I... I was less less purposeful, for sure. That would be okay, though, because the purpose of getting out into the forest was to write the poems. Yeah, but I sometimes didn't. I didn't get to write them. I would just say that that's what I was doing, and then I'd go out and, you know, listen to the birds and stuff. But I think I'm probably less purposeful generally, even now, you know, that idea of having to be purposeful and having to go, you know, everything has to have a reason really jars with me. And I miss, I mean, and of course, life with children, however old they are, um, wipes that out of you because you never get on purposeful moments except in the bath and even then you, if you take your phone in you're clearing your emails so yeah I look forward to the days coming back where we can have those kind of un- and pr- a picnic by definition is unpurposeful you know you're going out you're sitting and eating and you're coming back so um, 
Yeah, I like that idea of that being some kind of joy, that an excuse or a reason to have an unpurposeful few hours. And I, my hope is that, you know, somewhere between the poem and the story are true, that you can go out and make it yours, and that if you do it enough, your body starts to recognize that landscape. Even if it's your own garden, you know, you're able to go out and recognize it enough that you become comfortable in it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the truth lies somewhere between the two, doesn't it? As so often is the case, you know, when we when we look at um, two contrasting or two linked related pieces, we, we find ourselves falling somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and as, as Claire so aptly says, you know, there's not a single story where each of us will have a different version of that and a hundred versions of it ourselves. Um, and also, you don't have to, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you don't have to be one kind of person or the other. You get to change your mind and you can change it over and over. You know, the idea that one is the kind of person that is purposeful or not purposeful. Watch out world, I might become more purposeful. But, you know, the idea that we have to categorize ourselves in some way. Um, maybe it's because I've hit that significant birthday, but I think you get to reinvent yourself. I wish we could reinvent ourselves more and not get stuck in our own little boxes. So, so there you are. Tell us what you're doing that's different and out of your box out there. Whether you find the landscape that you recognize or whether you go to places you don't, we'd love to hear your stories about your picnics and where you take them and what, what's what's even in your backpack exactly what's that's what i'm most interested in what what you would take with you on your perfect picnic i think that's all from us for today for the month of june thanks so much for having us in your ears we look forward to chatting again next month